Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to the NL Full-Time Podcast, our final show of the season, our review podcast. I'm Luke Edwards and joining me as always, it is Rob Worrell. Hiya, Rob. Yeah, hi Luke. It's it, it, from the podcast team. It's been me and you forever now. We've got to get those other boys back, haven't we? Yeah, they've all got other commitments, haven't they? I mean, Chris is off to Tokyo, so we can't get him on. He's off to the Olympics, a lucky so and so, so we can't get him on. And uh, Tom's a new father. Uh, Dickie's had other commitments, mm. so yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have the band back together for next season. Also joining us it is Becky Eyes. Hiya, Becky. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Oh no! Yeah, well, you were that good last time. We we thought we'd get you on again. You say all the right things. We do, yeah. And also, also joining us, a man who before we came on air said he'd commentated on 120 games last season across 14 different competitions, but mainly commentates on the National League for BT Sport. It is Adam Summerton. Hi, Adam. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all okay. <laughs> yeah, get up off the couch. Wake up. You've got more, more work to do. <laughs> going out for lunches and watching the Euros. Yeah, yeah. Having a bit of time off at the minute. Let's get straight into it and go back about three weeks ago. I know, Adam, you were there and we were there for the podcast. That Tarky Hartlepool game was some game. Would you put it up there with one of the best National League finals and one of the best National League games you commentated on? I think for just the sheer drama that it gave us, the storylines, the plot twists, um, just what was riding on it. Um, obviously, you know, what happened with the goalkeeper. I mean, we, you could probably do a whole podcast that just on, on that one game, couldn't you? It was, yeah, definitely up there. In terms of drama, uh, edge of your seat stuff, I guess it would be up there in terms of the Tranmere Boreham Wood game that, that I did. So I think it was, was that three years ago. Um, it had that kind of, you know, feeling of jeopardy. But yeah, I think in terms of the plot twists and just what else is going to happen in this game, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's probably out on its own, really. It's funny you mentioned about a podcast all on its own for that game because that's what we did, didn't it, Robin? You can listen to it now. <laughs> Subscribe and yeah, listen on yeah. Spotify and all good podcasting platforms. But yeah, Becky, I don't know. Were you there or were you watching it? It was a dramatic game, wasn't it? Oh, Luke, I'm never one to miss a party. Of course I was there. Um, I was, <laughs> you know what? I was very fortunate that day. I got to attend that game and I wasn't working. So I went ah. as a neutral fan. I, I was going to say we didn't see all we saw was Adam Virgo all the yeah. time. <laughs> no, I w- but I was there with a couple of other people from BT Sport, which was lovely. And it was the, to experience that as a fan is such a different experience when you're working the game. Because when you're working, you're constantly concentrating on what's going on. Like you're neutral either way, but you're making notes and you just, you know, you. so you're not sort of like, you are emotionally invested, but not the same way when you're just sat there being like, okay, great, I can just be a fan here. And the twists and turns were unbelievable. And I happened to be sat the row behind um, Dave Challoner's wife and family and it I mean that in itself was an experience that I don't think I'll ever forget it's sort of the first time I've ever watched a game of that significance with a with a family member pretty much in the row in front of me and to watch her emotions and their family's emotions through it just added to the drama tenfold for me so it was incredible day um yeah what a player. And Becky, Becky, you 
Um, you'd done a few trips in the season up to Hartlepool and down to Torquay as well, hadn't you? So you were completely invested in those storylines. You, you, you've spoken on many occasions to Challoner, to Gary Johnson. And, uh, you know, it, it must have been quite incredible, um, you know, just to, to know what journeys they've both been on and to see it twisting and turning like that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you come across these people and you speak to them and, you know, you become, I want to, for me, I like to think I'm friends with everybody, but you know what I mean? You, you do, you see what people have been through through the season and you know what is riding on this, you know, and it's just, honestly, when I sat there in that stand and I was like, I adore both these teams. I've, I, I really like both these managers, the players, it was such a strange experience wanting it for both sides, knowing that that couldn't happen. Yeah, it was a weird one. Well, Luke, we were watching it as neutrals and even we were yeah. screaming and hollering and God knows what else watching it. Mm. And, uh, it was. It was, it was. You're, you're cheering, Sorry, you, you know, especially in the penalty shootout at the end as well. Like, you know, one missed and then you're like, oh my God, that was awful. And then the next one missed and you're thinking, oh my God, what is happening here? And then they, I think it was like the first four were missed, I think. Mm. And it was mm. just like, you, I just could not comprehend quite what was happening and you're cheering, but then you're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm cheering for the emotion of it or I'm not particularly cheering for a side, but it, it was just, honestly, right. it was an amazing day. Amazing experience. Uh, yeah. And Adam, quick question for you on the commentary. I mean, I had my go at, calling the key points along with Luke while we were at the game for the podcast. And uh, I must admit, I was uh, one of my best and worst moments commentating, really. I set it up beautifully for the goalkeeper. I think as he came up, you know, for the corner, I think we were all thinking, I wonder, well, he's Brazilian as well. I wonder if he could do analysis. So I I brought it into my commentary, but it was just too unbelievable when it happened. I've listened back to the podcast and my voice reaches a pitch that I don't think it's ever reached. You pretty much nailed it, you and uh, Bergs, didn't you, at at the time? I suppose that's for others to judge, but but thank you if if you think we did. Um, You did get a lot of love on Twitter, Adam. So yeah, you did do well on it, apparently. Yeah, well, I I think, to be honest, I think moments like that really are just a commentator's gift, to be honest. Um, Moments like that, you just have to seize and make the most of. And sometimes, you know, a bit less is more with it. Where you, you know, you let it breathe maybe for a few seconds as well. But as well, I mean, you, without getting too TV about it, I think sometimes as a commentator, you are very, well, always reliant on the pitches that you're being given. And they have to be cut in a way that tells the story that you to then talk to. So our, our, our director that day, Gemma, did a great job with the the pitches, particularly the Reese Oates one. Which, if you if you do watch the game back, her picture when she gave me the picture of Reese Oates, that then coloured where I went in terms of what I said. So everything goes hand in hand, really. People maybe sometimes don't think about that that you you know you're talking to the shots that you're being given and someone's picking those shots, and that's really important. But yeah, it was just uh, it, I, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember it. You just sometimes you, it's almost like you sort of have a little bit. It sounds, I know this people, this will sound a bit weird, but you almost have like a moment where you stop for just a second when it's gone, where something that mad happens. And it's almost like you're looking at yourself. And I, and I, I just, just remember being like this. 
Completely no one could see this, obviously. but like almost like stooped down and just my arms in the air, just uh, looking looking at Vergs, whose whose just eyes were as wide as they could be. You know what we were witnessing, and the best he could find. The best Vogue could find was a Gary Neville line, wasn't it? It's the un- unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, I was say, I mean, is that the hardest bit, Adam? Because like you say, you, you're that caught up in the emotion and you're like, oh my God, why, what have I just seen? And I suppose you just, like you say, the pictures are telling the story. Have you got to like just hold yourself back for five seconds maybe? I think sometimes, yeah, it just depends on the moment and what's happening really. I think, to be honest, my, my own view as a commentator is that that moment where it hit the back of the net, I think because of the fact that a goalkeeper had scored, because it was in, you know, the, the last minute of a, of a promotion final, it warranted me, you know, giving quite a lot in that first couple of seconds. But I think then you do have to give it a little bit of a breather for three or four seconds to appreciate the absolute bedlam that was going on. I think sometimes just letting the viewers hear the bedlam, if that makes sense, is, is what you need to do as well as a commentator. So um, I did do that and let it, let it breathe. But you, you're thinking all these things in milliseconds, really, as, as you're commentating on a, on a moment like that. And I think sometimes people just appreciate a commentary where the commentator is washed away in the moment and can and literally will just say what I was thinking, which is I just cannot believe what I'm, I'm seeing here. No. I think sometimes you can do you remember when we were talking about it afterwards and then we I watched the clip back on Twitter that BT Sport had tweeted, but we could hear Bergs and he there was just this dull like oh in the background and you were like, what's that noise? And we were like, yeah. it's Bergs. Yeah, that was in the car park after the game. Uh, yeah. I, I was I'd watched the clip back on my phone. And I've watched it two or three times because at the start of it, when the goal went in, I just kept hearing, as Becky says, this like, ah, sort of noise. I said to him, Have a listen to this. So he stood with the phone next to his ear in the, in the Ashton Gate car park. And I said, can you hear that at the start of that? What, what, who's making that noise? Because they must have been next to our microphone. And he went, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, it was an exciting, incredibly exciting thing for us all to go through as neutrals. But uh, Luke, uh, we didn't manage to get him on the day, did we? But you, uh, you caught up after the game with uh, Hartlepool fan Mark Carroll. I did, yeah. I had a good chat with him to get his emotions now that the dust is settled to, and hear what he had to say. We are brought in, hopefully for the last time, and I don't mean that in a bad way, Hartlepool fan Mark Carroll. Hi, Mark. Hey, Luke. Nice to see, nice to speak to you again. Yeah, and you. And uh, and as I said, hopefully this is the last time we'll be speaking because uh, Hartlepool did win the playoffs in what was, well, I mean, I don't know if you've heard the pod, but it was a pretty dramatic day. Now the dust has settled, Mark. Just just tell us your emotions from that day. Yeah, I did I did hear the pod and I think it sort of captured it um, exactly how it happened. Um, it was probably the, the best sort of day support Hartlepool United I've ever had. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see a few promotions, mainly from League Two and League One, but I think that was the biggest and most important victory in our in our history, to be quite honest. To get out of the National League, which is I think the hardest league to get out of that I know of, um, so it was massive. I think it was massive for the future of the football club, to be honest, because I, I don't think we could have survived another few years of the structure that we had in place. Um, if we'd stayed in the league for much longer. Um, it was huge for the football front and the financial front. Um, 
So they say it had everything. I felt exhausted watching the game. Um, just probably just as much as the players did. It, as you said, it had every single thing you could. I think anybody who was neutral watching that game, um, you've seen everything. You've seen it. That, that is football encapsulated in 120 minutes and penalties. Um, it was it was something else, you know, at the end of it to win. It was hard on Torquay um, to lose, but, you know, we've been to a playoff final before 16 years ago. That shows you how how much we've been crying out for some success. Um, and to see us win it in that fashion and lift the trophy, I don't, it's, a, it's a day we'll never, ever forget. You know, National League or not, that's the, that's the highlight that I've seen. I know Bristol City got a lot of criticism when it was first announced as a venue, but it went really well there. And I think the fact it was a smaller stadium helped with the atmosphere, didn't it? I did, yeah. When you've got 6,000 or so fans in, you get lost in Wembley. Don't get me wrong, I'd have loved to have won it in Wembley, but nobody from Hartlepool now or in the future will care that we won it at Ashton Gate. Um, the size of the ground, yeah, 6,000 in that ground. You were there, and I'd say to anybody, it didn't sound like there was 6,000 in the ground. You know, both sets of fans were, were, were really going for it, and it was, a, it was a tremendous atmosphere, and it sort of showed people, if they, if they didn't already, what, what support means to football, you know, what fans mean, because that game in the sterile atmosphere, I don't think it would have had half the drama we saw. No, and, and just tell us, in injury time, the goalkeeper goes up and it all happened in slow motion. I mean, I was watching the run and he, he thought, he's going to get his head on this, he's going to get his head on this. And then it, it happened, didn't it? And if he, just tell us what, what, what like your emotions were and what your thoughts were at that time. Yeah, well, I can remember that was clearing a corner, I think it was, and we sort of cleared it and it was almost going out for throwing. The guy returned it. The goalkeeper actually started to run away from goal and he turned his heels and went back. Um, yeah, in slow motion, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about our goalkeeper. Don't come, don't come, um, because there's just a crowd of players in that box, um, and we've got away with a couple of, you know, previous decisions in the game. Um, when he come, when that ball hit the net, yeah, it just felt like somebody sort of punched you in the stomach. To be quite honest, that 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 moment, I'm thinking, this is Hartlepool. This is a way we we had we had one hand and four fingers on the trophy. And it's gone. Um, and at that moment, you you just so just like you want the ground to swallow you up. Yeah, I mean, we, we said as well at the start of stoppage time, Hartlepool looked gone. And I know I looked over at Rob Law and we both went, they're gone here. But somehow they found the energy, didn't they? And then when it went to penalties and the keeper saves the first two as well, it's like you think it's going to be his day. But somehow they managed to claw it back, didn't they? They did, yeah. As I said, the goalkeeper scores. It was sort of written, wasn't it? He scored the equaliser. Then it goes to penalties. He's going to be the hero. He saves two. Um, but their two penalties were, you know, I, I didn't expect any right to miss. You know, the first guy who took it, who slipped, um, that is extraordinary. But when Danny Wright stepped up, I'm thinking, well, experience he's got, it's not going to get to him. And he hits the bar and you just think, well, this is, we've had four penalties now and it's just, it just, it's just crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, from after that, the penalties were quite good. From that point onwards, you know, there was, there was a few of our penalty takers I was a bit unsure about um, when they stepped up. Um, but yeah, fantastic, and it just looked at that point, you know, we, you were just 
heart in your mouth every time your player stepped up from our point of view. Yeah. Just desperate to score. Um, and then the goalkeeper, you can say, you know, he made a mistake in that game, but he redeemed himself. And he was on run for Middlesbrough. And I'll say, you know, in 10, 15 years' time, you know, people will still remember his name, even though he played a handful of games was on loan. Mm. He will go down in history as a, as a heart to put United legend. And he's only played half a dozen games purely for that, that penalty save. And then, well, at the end, you could see what happened, you know, I was too far high in the stand and too many people jumping on top of me to get on the pitch. But as I said, that, that had everything you could possibly imagine. From go from a feeling of desolation to to that, you don't get many of them in your, in, in your time watching football, especially our level. You don't get many of those moments. I think you were saying you know, your first pre-season game starts next week, doesn't it? It's three weeks break. I mean, it's probably the shortest. It's hard enough for teams to get promoted via the playoffs anyway, but for three weeks, it's uh, you're going to go into that season again and it, it could catch up towards the end of the season, but I'm sure the objective is just to stay up, isn't it? I think the objective is to sort of just make sure that that we're in that league at the end of the season coming. When it finishes, we're in that league, whether it's the mid-table, it's just to sort of get, our, get ourselves cemented um, in that league. But yeah, there's been little turnaround. Um, they've moved to a new training facility in Durham, um, which is much better than where we were training before. Um, but yeah, there's very little break. I think, you know, they've had maybe, say, a week or two break because the celebrations after that playoff game kept going on for another week or so. We had a bus parade and everything around Hartlepool. So I think they've literally maybe had a week off. In the last season we've just had, we we started our pre-season for that season on the 20th of June and the playoff final was the 20th of June this year. So they had a full year solid of pre-season then the, then the season being sort of held back and delayed. Um, so I think it's a case now of we've got some friendlies lined up Mall, they've got next week, we're playing Roan Corner away, which is an interesting one. Um, but most of them are not, and most of them are, are, not, are local National League North teams we're going to be playing. So I don't think from our point of view, we need many pre-season games when you've just come off a season like that. We don't need to be, you know, we don't need to be playing seven or eight pre-seasons to get up to speed. We're up to speed. I think it's more managing people's um, fitness and the load they're taking. Um and just getting a, a squad that can manage um, the season coming up. So, yeah, see, pre-season starts next week. And then once today, the Football League season kicks off. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us again. Um, enjoy the Football League. And as I said at the start, hopefully, don't take this the wrong way, we won't have to speak to you again. <laughs> well, it's, I know, yes, it's in the nicest possible way. But I'll keep, a, I'll keep one eye on the National League because it'll be interesting to see next season what what happens with it. There's a lot of competition there. There's a lot of teams who think there should be in the Football League. Um, from my point of view, I'm pleased it's, it was four years because we've seen a lot of teams being there for a lot longer. So it'll be, I think it'll just be as, it might, it might even be more competitive, even more so next season with the amount of money going around and teams who think should be in the Football League. So I'll I'll keep one eye on the National League Um in the in the joy that you know we're not there in that pressure environment, and that was Mark Carroll, and I think it it, it manoeuvres nicely into Rob the, uh, the the end of season predictions, doesn't it? And I know uh, I know Adam's pretty will be pretty happy about the uh, the playoff and the winners. I know we did our own at the start of the season, but then when we did our little BT get together versus the the podcast quiz, 
we kind of did our own little predictions again, didn't we? We did. There was, uh, I don't know, what would there have been? Probably six to eight games roughly left when we did that. And, uh, and so the title was probably one of four. The playoffs, who would win them? That could be one of maybe six or seven. And we all had a crack at it. And we knew, didn't we, going into the playoff final that our two guests today uh, had a chance still because they'd both gone, both gone for Sutton to win the league. That box was ticked. And in the final, well, Adam had Hartlepool and uh, Becky, I believe, had Torquay. You came mighty close. It was a great call. But top honours, Adam, uh, you must be chuffed at that because predicting in this league is as hard as it gets. Yeah, it is, it is pretty tough, to be honest. And look, I'm not going to big myself up too much because I certainly didn't have Sutton down at the start of the season to win the league. <laughs> but yeah, I think the more I watch the season go on, um, I didn't actually do that first game that Hartlepool had on BT Sport this season, you know, when they got heavily beaten um, by Turkey. I didn't do that game. But all the games I saw them live in, I remember saying to Adam after every game, I said, they're the best, they're the best side I've seen this season in terms of, the overall game. So even though, of course, it was incredibly close and they didn't make it in terms of the title, I thought I'd be really surprised if, if they didn't go up. Um, and obviously, I mean, it couldn't have been any tighter, really, could it, in terms of them getting over the line in the end. But, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure Torquay fans would point to the fact that they were top of the table for far longer than any other team in the National League last season. So you've got to have some sympathy for them. But, uh, yeah, full credit to Dave Chandler and his players. Uh, they, they did a fantastic job. And, they, were, as I say, they're a very good side. Uh, the, one, the one takeaway I always had with Hartlepool, every time I watched them this season without fail, and we're talking about live, was that they looked a really well-coached team who were comfortable in what they were being asked to do. And I think that... If you can do that at this level, I think that can go a really long way. And we, we spoke to Dave Challoner after the game, didn't we, Robin? And I know the big theme around it was he's been a bridesmaid so many times and he's such a good manager, but could he get take that final step and get promoted? And now he's done it. He, he's been vindicated, hasn't he? He has. He's really proved his class. Um, you know, he, he's been a very successful manager. A lot of promotions now on his CV. But what he's done, he's got rid of that, oh, he did it at far because they had money, you know. Um, this is why, and this moves us on to the next kind of subject, really. Um, uh, we, we sort of set for us all to say, who whose was the best managerial performance outside of Matt Gray's, which is ridiculous. I mean, Sutton, the size of the club, you know, as you said, Adam, none of us, none of us were picking Sutton at the start of the season. Phenomenal achievement. For me, it is um, it, it is Dave Challoner at Hartlepool because you've got to look at the history of the club and all they've known in recent years is failure. You know, they, they've come down from the Football League. They've struggled to, to get sort of near the playoffs since they've been down those first couple of years. Um, and so his achievement is is fantastic. I I wouldn't be surprised if one or more of you concur with that. But just, uh, Becky, coming to you, um, best managerial performance outside of Matt Gray for you? Yeah, so I actually looked at this and obviously, hands down, Dave Challoner, I was so pleased for him as well because, as you said, I followed him at Files a little bit. And I remember Files had that thing saying that their target was to be in the Football League by 2022. And then it's sort of like, well, Dave's actually gone and done that. And so I was so pleased for him on on that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really Um, good point. He should have that on his tracksuit now, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should. should. So I was really pleased about that. But look, I've gone a little bit, I suppose, left field, because obviously all the top clubs have had brilliant seasons because, you know, your manager leads you to where you are. 
But I've actually picked James Rowe at Chesterfield um, for me. I think he came into that club, what, last November. I think they were down in 23rd um, in a real, not in a good place. And Chesterfield for the last two seasons, for me personally, I think for the size of club they are, have really underperformed. And I think since he's come in, when he turned up and they were 23rd in the league, I think if somebody had said to them, oh, you'll end up in the playoffs, I'm not sure Chesterfield fans would have believed it, almost. I think he is a guy that is not afraid to make decisions that perhaps aren't that popular at times, but he's not afraid to make a decision. Um, I think he is a real presence. I think he is somebody that has brought consistency to the club, which I think is something that was perhaps slightly lacking. He's young. He's 37. Um, and I think if you look at the players they have now compared to the players when he first came, I think there's only seven players that actually still remain. Like, that is bringing transition, change, consistency, um, not afraid to make a decision. He's young. And do you know what else? I also thought about a different aspect for this. He is the most personable guy. He is lovely. Always got time for a chat. Will always say hello. Win or lose, will give you an interview. And for me, from my perspective, I think that kind of adds to a complete manager. Look what Gareth Southgate is doing for England right now. That is a complete manager. And I feel like James Rowe is the Gareth Southgate of the National League. (laughs) Well, there you go. There you go. That's going to... That's going to make the, the little bar that goes out with the tweet now, Becky, I think. So, yeah. He's going to love, if he listens, he's going to love that, any he, girl? Oh, yeah. absolutely love it. That's just my impression that I've got this season. So, for me, that's kind of where I've looked. And look, they've made the playoffs. All right, they didn't quite get it over the line, but valiant effort. And, yeah, I think that's that's my review this season for him. Just quickly going back to Challoner as well. One thing Mark mentioned as well, a big thing for Hartlepool is keeping him because Wrexham was sniffing around him. And I think Tranmere Rochdale were as well. So moving forward, that's a big move for Hartlepool. Maybe a missed opportunity for Wrexham. Anyway, we'll get onto that another day. (laughs) Mm. So Adam, where are you going with yours? Well, this is interesting because we've got three different names because I'm going to say Gary Johnson, all things considered. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Torquay were by far top of the table more longer than any other team. I know that doesn't get you promoted. It doesn't win you a title. I, I totally appreciate that. But I think that um, what he's done since he took over at that club, when you remember where they were, I mean, had they gone up and they were so close to doing it, it would have been a second promotion in three seasons. He's restored a feel-good factor to a club that, I mean, I don't know if... if it, saying it was on its knees would be fair, but it was certainly not in a good place in terms of the mentality there when he took over. And I think another thing as well that's really important to point out with Gary Johnson, and I appreciate we've come through a very difficult year for everybody concerned in football, and certainly at this level of football, it's been very difficult. Injuries have been a big problem, but I think that Torquay have probably suffered. I mean, I haven't got the statistics in front of me, but anecdotally, I would think that Torquay suffered quite a bit, maybe more than some of their sort of promotion contenders, fellow promotion contenders in terms of injuries, but particularly in the final third, you know, this, a lot of their forward players, you know, Danny Wright being one example who had two hamstring injuries, didn't he, during the season? Um, you know, the others that we could mention as well, I think Lemon Hay Evans was really one of the only sort of constants in terms of the forward. So he had to keep um, fresh, freshening things up. He had to keep bringing people in. Um, but still kept managing to to get results and getting them to a position where they could really challenge. So I think 
all things considered for me, um, Gary Johnson would be would be my pick really for obviously very closely followed by by Dave Challoner and, and Becky's absolutely spot on in everything she said about James Rowe, who's certainly a manager to watch in, in the coming years. Um, I'll tell you, it's nothing to do with manager of the year, but I have to say I'm fascinated to see how Ian Birchnell does with a full season and a full preseason at, at Notts County because the knives were out for him after, after what, six games? There, there were people saying, this guy this guy's out of his depth, he needs to go. And, and look how he turned that around. No, they didn't get mm. over the line. But I think that they you know, finished the season strongly. Um, they're making moves in terms of keeping players and, and the transfer market as well. And, and I'm fascinated to see how he does with a preseason and he'll hope a full season in charge at Notts County. I think I echo what you've just said there and I'd apply some of that to Simon Rusk as well. He had a very difficult start at Stockport and ultimately got them to where they, they wanted to be in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, a lot of their fans took a fair bit of convincing when there was a few nil-nils early on. And uh, uh, I guess what, what Rusk had to get right is is the home form, particularly in one or two of the big matches. They've just not quite got the results that they wanted. Yeah. Um, brilliant, brilliant choices. Uh, Luke, we haven't forgotten you yet, but I just wanted to add something to the James Rowe, uh, two things least, to the eh? James Rowe thing, Becky. Number one, yeah, uh, number one, um, we didn't even mention the word Gloucester City, but he had them absolutely steaming away at the top of the National League North. So James Rowe's record as a manager in terms of games played, one, the win percentage will be better than anybody else's. Uh, and the second one, Becky, is he will listen to this podcast. And the reason he does, not because I know him and he's a bit of, you know, get on well with him, is because he's that thorough. He doesn't miss a trick. And, uh, uh, you know, when he sees... Uh, analysis of the season and what we're talking about different clubs and everything else he'll be listening just in case there's a little tidbit from another manager on it you know because that's it's all about the fine margins for James Rowe it's about the 0.1% so who are you going for Luke? James Rowe's going to be disappointed because we haven't got any managers on so there's nothing to reveal to (laughs) (laughs) don't tell him don't tell him that he would have kept listening (laughs) Are you, do you agree with any of those role? three particular? No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My choice is, um, I know we mentioned him a lot, Robbie, Alan Devonshire again. He's, um, he had mm. Maidenhead punching in the playoffs for, or in and around the playoffs for most of the season. And you look at what he's done and all right, he faded. Then he came again strong at the end of the season. Um, and look at the plays he's progressed again. Um, Danilo Arce, Josh Conley, they've all moved on as well. And, um, you look at the budget he's got there. He, he's done. Uh, he's done a fantastic job to have them punching above the weight once again. And special mentions as well for um, the likes of Phil Parkinson, who kept Aldringham up comfortably, even though there was no relegation. Same with Brian Stock at Weymouth. Um, so yeah, and, and also and special Pete Wilde Woodman as well. Yeah, Pete Wilde and also Andy Woodman at Bromley because a lot of people thought Bromley would just sink when Neil Smith went, but. He, uh, he kept him going and got him in the playoffs. So they'll be ones to watch as well next year. Talking of ones to watch then, Luke, um, <clears throat> probably a little bit uh, conscious of time, but have we, got, have we each got maybe at least one player that hasn't yet gone up to the EFL who we feel sure will do over the next season or so? Um, Adam, do you want to go first this time? Well, I mean, I've, I, I even spoke to Vergs about this because I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave anybody out. But there's, I mean... I don't, I'm not fully up on all the transfers, so I don't know. I'm not um, absolutely sure who's who's gone where as yet. I know 
if, if you said to me, if you were a scout, mm. and believe it or not, it does actually happen. I get scouts actually come and say, recommend players. And if, if I could only pick one from last season who I thought we could, it was of a technical standard that they could really move up the leagues and, and be comfortable in the EFL, it would have been Jack Earing at Halifax. If I had one. But the, the, there's so many players that, that I could mention in terms of young players. I mean, I know some of these have moved on, but Brad Young, obviously, we didn't see him play, but obviously he's a big talent that's come from the National League at Hartlepool. Uh, Liam Vincent, I really like Goodliffe at, um, at Sutton, who, of course, now has gone up with them. Tomlinson looks a good player. Coley and Orsi have, have made moves. Um, Sonny Carey was another one that really impressed me last season. All right, um, save some names yeah, for the rest of us. I tell you another player who, who I really liked as well, who's, who's at a Premier League club, so this might not count, but, but Clark at Chesterfield, I thought he looked a really, really good player. I'd be amazed if he doesn't have a, a career in the Football League, maybe in the he's high He's signed levels. permanently now, I believe, hasn't he? He's signed yeah, he's, permanently now. For... He's, he's a really good player. I'd be, I'd, like I say, I'd be amazed if he doesn't end up in the, in the Football League, but I won't say any more because... Go back. <laughs> go Becky, go, go, go. No, I, think, I mean, Adam, your picks are pretty good. Um, I actually went with Armani Little at Torquay. Um, so close to going up to the league this time. I think there is somebody who, given the opportunity, would thrive. I think he's great in that midfield. Great age, 24. You know, the perfect, just... He's had a little bit of league experience, hasn't he? Because he went out for... I think he was on loan for a season. So he has made a, an, EF, uh, an EFL debut. But I think he then went out on Woking for the rest of the season for a loan and was phenomenal. I think he is, yeah, little dynamite, just waiting for somebody to give him an opportunity. And I think he would fly. I should say, Rob, as well, I yeah. would be remiss of me to miss I this one out it. because I, I raved about him all season, was Cass at Hartlepool. Um He's got to play in the football league and, and make a real success of it. He he really did impress me. Again, it's I think when you're watching players at this level and seeing, I remember I'm going to really name drop here. Um, and I was speaking to Glenn Hoddle about this because Glenn Hoddle had, um, as you're probably aware, that academy in Spain. That is a massive name drop. That we'll have to get yeah. that span and brush out for and, that. And and I said to I said to Glenn, I watch this the national league all the time, and you look at players and you think he could make the step up, but then you'll watch them again a week later and they'll be a four out of 10. Whereas they were a 10 out of 10 the week before. And we all know it's the reason these players don't necessarily make it to the championship is consistency. It's not that they can't do it on a one-off basis. They can. And he said to me, when I asked him, how do you, when you were getting players into your academy, how would you judge whether somebody was good enough to make it on? And he said, well, what you've got to do is you've got to look at those players and not read too much into how they're playing with, players who are at the same, the same standard they're at now, if that makes sense. You've got to look at them and think and picture them with better players. And you've got to say in terms of what they do, you know, for example, you might have a player who, play, who plays in the midfield and he's playing with a centre forward who's not intelligent enough to make certain runs that the central midfielder is not, would notice and would be able to pick out. But that centre forward at that level is not making those runs, just to give you an example. Uh, and he said, it's all about spotting those players who, once they're around better players, will flourish themselves. Uh, and, and it made a lot of sense what he said there. And I think that if, 
for people scouting this level of football, that is, is hard to do because obviously, you know, it's, you're almost trying to predict the future in a way. But um, mm. I thought that was a nice bit of insight from somebody, obviously, who's managed at the very highest level, and, yeah. you know, and knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he's, he's been there, seen it and done it. It's a really good point about going up through the levels. And um, I, I relate to most of those you've, you guys have talked about, of course, in that playoff final, Hartley Paul had to do it without Cass and Torquay had to go at it without Whitfield, who probably was halfway to the National League Player of the Season when his injuries struck. He's uh, Becky, you, you're uh, across all these moves, clearly, aren't you? Whitfield's got a move as well, hasn't he? Up to Stockport, yeah, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think he's gone to stock. But oh yeah, I like literally. I'm a bit geeky like this, so I love following like the transfers that happen all, all across the season. And Covalon's gone, hasn't he? From Torquay, he's got a move. He's gone Port almost Bay. straight away. He, he didn't yeah, hang around. Yeah. Did he? No, <laughs> yeah. that goal man sent him. Yeah, I think he just. I, I, I think he just finished dancing. He yeah, just finished dancing. And he went. See ya. <laughs> he's changed his position as well I heard he's going up front for a uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jake Reeves he's another one left Notts County he's disappeared I've got to be honest though I've got to be honest having been at Notts County and I think Luke I can't remember if you were part of this conversation but he divides opinion or divided opinion a little bit at Notts County he had his fans and some of those who didn't you know he got that criticism that sometimes central midfielders get oh he passes sideways all the time and stuff like that um, it's very subjective for me. The only one. Um, it's funny enough I, I looking watched. at all the transfers. There is a lot from the National League that moved up to the league already in, in mm. July. We've only had 10 days lot, of it. I think a lot of them have. And, 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 and funnily enough, the, the guy I'm going to talk about now, um, I mean, I'm still hoping against hope that he might still be at Aldershot next year, but I doubt it. Joel Newble or Nuble, as he likes to be called. He did it at Harringay and got a move to Concord. And he did very nicely, thank you, at Concord and got a move to Aldershot. And he had his tests at the start of the season. But he's provided some wonderful, wonderful moments for a big man. Incredible ball control. Can go by players like they're not there. A um, little bit of end products needs development at times. But Joel Nubel or Nuble uh, could certainly find himself in the Football League very soon, I'm sure. So, Luke. We've named a lot of names there, players. Anybody we haven't touched on? Anybody that you fancy will climb up the levels? Well, I would have, I would have mentioned Danilo Orsi. I mean, first of all, a special mention for him. I mean, his, his rise in three years has been incredible. He went from Hungerford to Hampton to Maidenhead to Harrogate. So um, props to him for doing that. Um, Lemon Hay Evans, I'm surprised nobody's mentioned him. I, he's always been impressive whenever I've seen him on telly and playing live. So um, <clears throat> I know I've said it in the past, I think, to when we interviewed the Torquay fans, I don't know if we said it on on the recording or off recording, but I, I said he won't be. I, I don't. I think he'll be playing in the Football League, whether it's with Torquay or without. Obviously, Torquay haven't gone up, so I, I imagine he'll have a few suitors. He may well be tied down to a decent contract, so it may well take quite a bit of money to get him out of that contract. Uh, another player who I've always been impressed with, um, who I've seen, who's just signed a new contract to Altingham, is Joel Senior. He came from Burnley and... Um, He's a very good attacking right back. I think he's only 21 as well, so age is on his side. And I'm sure, again, they'll have lots of clubs looking at him. And I know Altrincham were, were quite worried that he wouldn't be here this season um, because of that very reason. I know I mean, Alistair Smith's gone up to Sutton. He was another player that impressed me from there. And also, uh, I wonder if someone will take a, a chance on Michael Cheek. I know he's like, is he 29, 30 now? But again, he's up at the top of the scoring charts. And will, will somebody in the Football League maybe take a punt on him? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'd like to get Adam's opinion on that. I mean, some might say that he's approaching or past his peak now, but the only player, good little quiz question, the only player that has scored double figures or more goals in the National League over the last four seasons, Michael Cheek. Yeah, I mean, his consistency at that level is, you can't question it, can you at all? Um, You just wonder when a player has got to that sort of stage in their career, that age, you wonder why a club in the Football League hasn't taken a punt on them. And naturally, as a player gathers years, to put it politely, you start to think, well, will it ever happen? Um, I I think he he plays in a a side as well. Well, put it this way, he could play in teams where more chances would be created for him. That, you know, that I'm talking of the Bromley of last season, where you know it could be very different this season. We'll see how they set up. Um, but under Andy Woodman, who of course is going to have his first full season, but yeah, his his record at, at this level is is quite something, really. You know, in terms of consistency, because as we said earlier in this in the pods, you know, the reason that players are at this level is because they're they're not necessarily consistent enough to do it at football league level. Um, but he at, at national league. You can't say he hasn't been consistent because he absolutely has. He, he leads the line brilliantly, but whether a club will take a chance on him at, at this stage remains to be seen. I guess he, he'll, it's, it's up to his agent maybe to uh, whoever that is to be uh, getting out there and, and, and seeing what's, what's of it. He may well be very happy where he is, though. He might well be. Um, Luke, you've gone last or near enough last in every category, so let's let you go first. We've got a couple to go. But maybe, we, maybe we'll... Um... We'll tie them in together. Um, Don't let me go first on best goal score because I'm I'm still wrapping. You're struggling. <laughs> well, if you haven't got one, you haven't got one. Um, but um, game of the season for you, and um, I don't know whether we should exclude the play. I mean, I think we're all going to say the playoff for its drama was amazing. But uh, the best game you were at all season. Stockport Torquay, that 2-2 was a fantastic game. Uh, end-to-end stuff, even though it was behind closed doors. Um, there was a real. BT were there a few weeks before. Just I think it was a week before the fans were allowed back in, and there was there was fans outside the ground. There was a real sense of occasion there, even though the fans weren't in the ground. And it was a fantastic game, and it, it's the best I'd certainly seen Torquay play, whether it's seen it live or on TV. And there was just that defense, the odd defensive frailties from crosses, which ultimately probably cost them throughout the season. But yeah, two-two end-to-end stuff, brilliant game, really enjoyed it. Adam, well, I mean. I, I can't really look beyond the, the promotion final. Um, that that was just a match that had everything really um, in terms of the, the the jeopardy on it, the risk and reward factor, the late drama, a goalkeeper scoring. We even had a what was it about eight and nine minutes stoppage for an injury, and there was a player being stitched on the pitch. Uh, we had the first four penalties of of the shootout missed. Uh, just just. Absolutely incredible game of football. So I, I, I have to say that the Notts County Chesterfield game as well was was one that, that I'll always remember too. And I think it's also worth pointing out, and I know I'm kind of flying in the face of what you said there, Rob, because I think you said, let's just forget the playoffs. But no, like, they're the freshest. You see, my... I thought we were excluding the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just think that we've had there, certainly since I've been covering the National League on BT Sport, the, the best set of playoffs that I can ever remember. We were just so lucky with every one of the games, lots of goals, lots of drama, good goals scored, fantastic storylines and all topped off by such a memorable promotion final as well. I, I'm just, I just feel so lucky that, that we, at, at the end of what's been such a difficult time for, for, for everybody at that level of football, 
to get those playoffs with, and I think having the fans back in for them as well made it even more special. They, the fans make it, don't they? And, and to have them back in, okay, okay, not at full house, but to have them back in just made it even more special. If, if, can I just say, if we're going to go for best team performance, I think that's got to be the Hartlepool one against Chesterfield because Chesterfield were on a really good run and he just demolished them, didn't he? As, I know Chesterfield didn't play that well, but they just they battered him, didn't they? But if we haven't mentioned it yet, what was... I mean, obviously, your role is slightly different, isn't it? Uh, you're on the touchline at a lot of games and you can have those games where you're thinking, please don't come to me because nothing's happened or whatever. And other times, <laughs> other times I guess, when they just can't come to you enough. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what it, it, that's exactly how it is. Um, I think, I suppose, I don't know if it's the best. I don't want to frame it as the best game. I think for me, one that stands out in the memory is Torquay Notts County just at the end of the season. Um, it ended up being 2-2. Torquay were 2-0 up. It depends how you want to look at it. They either let a 2-0 lead go or Notts County had a blistering second half and got them, you know, got themselves two games. And I think it was at a time where had that game of one, had Torquay have won that game, the end of the season table may have looked a little bit different. It was quite a crucial, pivotal game within that mm. season. And it was mm. a time when Ian Birchnell was at Notts County. Obviously, there was they were on that horrible streak. Kyle Wooten could not score bless him for some reason it just wouldn't go to the back of the net and they were on that terrible streak and I think it gave Knox County a huge amount of confidence that they came back from 2-0 down and I think subsequently after that they went on then to get some wins at the end of the season and it was the game for me where I felt talky it was the bump in the road for me so I'm not just saying it was the best game I'm saying that it was the most memorable and I think probably a little season-defining. Yeah, brilliant. I'll mention mine briefly because it wasn't a significant match in terms of the league or anything. It just, and it, I'm not picking this one because it was the last game of the season, the freshest in my memory, but it was just bonkers. Kings Lynn against Aldershot, last game of the season. Aldershot were absolutely storming it, 2-0 up. And I've never seen in the National League a team with their heads on their chest so much as Kings Lynn were at 2-0 down, but... They got one back to get two one. Um, before you know it, it was it was it was two all, and then it was three two and four two to Aldershot. Cody Lyons Foster, who hadn't scored a goal all season, he's banged two in for Aldershot, the centre back. Um, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, watching Aldershot, you know, no wonder I got so many grey hairs. And they're just seeing it out four three, and you you guessed it, last kick of the game, corner comes in, and uh, it's rifled home, and it ended up four four. It was. It was, in a way, it was kind of just a wonderful, um, you know, free-flowing game of football at the end of the season, but uh, an absolute cracker. What about the best goals then? Um, I'll just briefly mention mine, go first this time. Uh, Donovan Wilson for Sutton um, against Aldershot. Very, very strong wind, received the ball in a tight space, turned his man and just rifled it against the wind. 25 yards, clean as a whistle. Um, That's the best goal I saw. Who wants to go next? We let you go next, Becky, just in case Adam mentioned your one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I can't I can't remember what game it was at all, to be honest. Sometimes they blur into one a little bit, but it was Wrexham, Luke Young, absolute blinder of a free kick. It was like 30 yards out, but he just rifled it and it almost broke the back of the neck. As I say, I can't remember what game it was at all. 
But I remember watching it and I remember just thinking, wow, that was like Andros Townsend-esque sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, for me, that one. But I do love a goal from a set piece. I'm a big fan of that. I, I think I love watching free kicks mm. flying. Adam? So the, the, that comeback from Notts County at home against Sutton, I think it was Isaac Alafe scored that, that goal earlier on in the game when Sutton were in front. Now I still... I'm, I've watched it a lot of times. I'm still not entirely sold that he actually meant it. But if he did mean it, then it was a stunning piece of skill that was worthy of the very highest level of the game in terms of a finish, in my opinion. So that that would that would have to be right up there. Um, you, I, I remember you. I remember you guys discussing it on the night. I felt 100, percent and I still do now that he meant it. It looked to me like he meant it. Yeah. Well, if he um, did, I mean, it was. Uh, it was. We could always it, say it, they mean it. Always. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> never, ne- never admit you didn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, and I think obviously, I mean, I can't talk about goals of the season without mentioning the name Lucas Kovaland. Can kind of that, oh, that's, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's got to be in conversation. You know what, though? This <laughs> season, that's the third time that I've been there when a keeper's put the ball in the back of the net. Really? Third. Wow. That's, that, is, that is some going to be. Were you, I know. Were you at the Allison game then? You were, the oh, no, I lie. Second. I was at, so I wasn't at the Allison game. I watched that on the telly. And then I was at the Rangers game where the St. Johnson keeper put it in the back of the net to send them through in the Scottish Cup. And then I was at the playoff final. Yeah, so it's been an amazing season for that. It really is. And Luke, are we going to mention the Results goal or you so, got another one? Yeah, Results goal obviously was on only what we saw on TV, but the, the goal I saw live again with Luke Young and it was a game I saw with you, Rob, against Aldershot and it came out to him in the edge of the area. It was like a boomerang. It was re- really low and it curled in from about 30 yards and it was it started from the outside of the post and curled in. It was a, it was a brilliant finish and, and ultimately decided the game. But the expectation now at Wrexham is going to be automatic promotion, isn't it? Um, they'll not be the only club that's got that expectation this season. I'm sure... I'm sure Stockport fans will expect and demand it as well. And no doubt Grimsby and Southend fans will see that their side's just going to bounce back. Um, is, it, is it going to be just as tough or tougher next season, Adam? What do you think? Well, I think if you want to know who's going to get promoted automatically from the National League, the trick is, look who finished mid-table the season before. <laughs> Seriously. Look at, the, look, at all the, look at all the league champions that we've just had over the last, what, how many how many seasons you know from Macclesfield, uh, Leighton Orient, you know, Dunmere came up through this season, the, didn't they? Yeah. All if you look back, they they were all finishing mid table the season before many many of them. So it's it's to a team that finishes mid table but finishes the seat the previous season quite strongly for me is a is, is an indie maybe maybe Dagenham and Redbridge, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. I was going to say, throw it all out there. It's, there's, so many te- there's so many teams with good backings for next year. It's, it's, yeah. That's why for me, I, I said it, I think, in one of the podcasts towards the end of the season, if Torquay don't get up, if Torquay don't get up, they, I don't think they would have had a... I'll do that again. I don't think Torquay had a better chance than he did last season because of all the investment that's going to go into clubs this year. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be so competitive and... For me, that's one of the things that makes, and I'm sure you're all probably the same, that makes this league so compelling to watch, so fascinating, is that the size of the clubs, and people will say, ah, you know, people who maybe don't watch this level of football say, what are you talking about? A big club is Liverpool or Manchester United or Arsenal or whatever. But these are 
big ex-football league clubs that we're talking about, a lot of these sides, and there's so much pressure to, to, to get up. But there's that bottleneck because there is only one. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that this is the case and it should have been changed a long time ago, in my opinion. But yeah. because you only have one automatic promotion place, uh, the, the, the pressure on... And, and I think that's one of the things that's so impressive, one of many things that's so impressive about Sutton's promotion is that, and I think a lot of that was to do with their leader, Matt Gray, is that the pressure never really... I know people will point to the fact that they dropped some points towards the end of the season where they were drawing quite a lot of games. But they mentally, they really kept it together when it really matters. And I think that a lot of that was down. And Becky will know this better than me because she spoke to Matt a lot. I always thought, and Adam and I discussed it many times on and off there, the calmness that came out of him through the television as well um, was, was, was quite something really. And I'm sure the players fed off that. So it, yeah, it ties it. It's funny you say that Adam about, about the national league. And, and there's, um, there was a statement out this week from the football supporters federation saying the majority of non-league fans want the national league reforming. So that almost had to become like a league four. Uh, because most of the teams are full-time in there. Uh, when asked to choose between three potential options for a National League voting system, three-quarters of fans, that's 73.7% back to one-club, one-vote system. Almost one in five fans, 18.4%, said that a system where Step 2 clubs received half a vote each compared with a vote apiece for Step 1 was preferable, while only 8% believe the current system should remain. Um, and basically, a lot of them are saying as well that uh, the EFL should be made up exclusively full-time professional clubs and it would serve the game better for them to be part of the EFL rather than the non-league structure. I, well, I'm not surprised that, that fans would be behind a, a change in that respect. Um, I think we all know the reason it doesn't happen is because the football league clubs, it, it would be like Turkey's in voting for Christmas is the way it's been put to me on many occasions is, is the way that it's viewed simply because of how hard it is to get out of, of the National League. But I, I think a greater a greater flow between League Two and the National League, I think would be beneficial for all. You know, it's hard to convince a, a League Two club that it's, that it's better off for them, obviously, in the short term to be relegated. Clearly it isn't. But I think in terms of getting back up again and for the wider goods, for me, it's a no-brainer. It has to happen. And we've got to a point now where the level of investment in the National League and even National League's North and South as well, we should point that out, how seriously it's taken, how many full-time clubs paying out pretty decent wages there are at that level of football. I think I would go as far to say as it's unacceptable to re- retain the status quo. These clubs deserve more opportunity to be, it shouldn't just be one automatic promotion slot. They yeah. should, so it should be two auto on one player, yes, like in the football league. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and I cannot, I, I think that has to happen. And, I, and I'm amazed that there isn't more noise being made about it. I really am. I have to 100% concur with that, Adam, just to add, that's the most important thing, that the flow through the pyramid is fair across it. You know, whether whether, yeah. whether the National League gets called League 3 or League 4 or EFL, you know, is one thing, and that's difficult to administrate, isn't it? Um, but as long as the flow's there for me, then, you know, so the clubs, wherever they are in the pyramid right now, can aspire to move up it, because it's a real blocking point, isn't it? Um yeah. And 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 there's there's no real reason for it. There's there, there cannot be any real reason. I remember Barnet were one of the very few clubs over the years that ever voted as a league club 
for an extra place because they they rightly saw themselves as that sort of club that was bouncing between. Yeah. And if it did go down, they wanted an easier path back up. Becky I do Ames- agree. So I do agree to some extent, Robert, in terms of what you're saying. Like, you know, it should be too automatic in a playoff spot, but. I just it sticks in the throat a bit that they want it to be called the EFL because I still think you've got to earn that right to get into the football league. Um, Becky, what do you think? I think it's really interesting listening to everybody else's take on this. Um, oh gosh, I agree. I do think getting out of the national league is notoriously difficult, and I do think that it should be more aligned with the league itself. So I do one hundred percent think there should be two automatic places, and then yeah, absolutely play it for the playoff. Like that's mm. not even in question. I think that these changes will start to come because I don't think before, as we said, the financial investment in the national league wasn't there. The gap was too big. Oh, that gap is doing this now, ever, ever shrinking. As as we've said, the the teams are now investing more. You know, I mean, for goodness sake, if somebody had said TikTok was going to be a sponsor within the National League, I'm telling you, EFL clubs would take TikTok as their sponsor for a couple of seasons. So oh, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, I think the more the more money that is pumped into the National League, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? money makes decisions and the more money that gets pumped into it, I think these things will start to change. And I do think it needs to change. I think there needs to be an evolution. And I do think the gap needs to be bridged a little bit between the National League and the EFL. It's the National League is a different beast to what it used to be. It's not it's not a little oh the little the little conference down there at the bottom that everyone sorts there's all conference players. And now it's like I think the National League is a force to be reckoned with. And I think People are very naive if they don't realise that and get on board with it, is what I think. Like Adam said, it's more it's more in sort of the EFLs. I think the National League would happily add an extra promotion place, but it's more the EFL, isn't it? Wanting that and wanting an extra team to go down. Well, that's what I mean. I think it's I think it's naivety from them. I think they're gonna <laughs> in the nicest possible way, you know, when you have to like get over your ego a little bit and actually realise what's happening below you. Mm. It's, it's like Rob's just said that everybody in the end benefits from that greater flow Foot, that football wins from that now we all know because we work or, or you know have a, a, a very strong interest in football we know that self-interest is king in football whether that be individual players or or clubs or you know the, the loyalty and, and things self-interest is, is always going to win out and I think somewhere down the line and I don't know how that necessarily happens that needs to be taken away so that the right decision can be made that you know and and I think eventually and again to borrow something that Becky just said you know money I think she said money talks and 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 I think when you've got people investing so much in these National League clubs I mean put it this way if I owned a National League club I would be lobbying very hard and strong to get this changed now how you go about achieving that change i don't know but but pressure but pressure over a long period of time surely has to has to have some effect you would think and i'm sure behind the scenes there probably are those things being said and that and that lobbying going on just a quick ps really on this there have been some changes some additions to the national league board they've now got representatives from chesterfield and stockport on it whose, whose names i don't have in front of me so um, whilst the vote of no confidence wasn't followed through, they do recognise they want fresh faces on that board and fresh ideas, and that can that can only be a good thing, I'm sure. 
And one other thing that's fabulous that we should celebrate, especially while we've got you two guys on, the extended deal for BT Sport. You guys individually, collectively have been superb. And we're going to do it all again, starting in uh, in just a, a month or so's time. And 220 games game. for Adam next season, isn't there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An extra 100 for you, Adam. Well done. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But yeah, first 12 games of the season have been announced, Adam. So uh, yeah. You can start to make your travel plans, and and, and Becky, yeah. you, you 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 live life on the edge. You don't know till the week, do you? I do. I'm a little bit more spontaneous than uh, <laughs> this type of thing. I'll see where we're going. I'll see where the stories are. I'll see which teams do and what, and I'll make my decisions sort of on a weekly basis. But no, look, I think, I mean, Adam could speak for him, but for me personally, I'm super pleased. Can't wait to get going again. Delighted to be back involved and. Yeah, I think everyone at BT, we like we love the National League. So I think we're all just excited to get going again. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's it's great that this level of football gets the, the publicity and the, 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 the eyes on it that, it that it does in this country. I've always thought, thought that's a fantastic thing. Uh, I really like, you know, spotting the gems that we, we've talked about on this podcast, you know, players who, who will eventually make the step up. I think that for me is a big part about covering this league. Um, it's it's a pleasure to be part of the team, actually, on the National League at BT. But yeah, we we, we just had, have a good time. And I think that shows, actually, hopefully it does anyway on air. I think that you can tell that the people who are, who are part of it actually have a have a, a passion for it. I think you can always tell that. Well, I can anyway. I think you can always tell when people are passionate about the league or the club or whatever it is they're covering. So, uh, and we've got more games than we've ever had before live this season as well. I think we're showing every single club by the end of October, I think. Yeah, I think um, that's what it is as well. Yeah, which is, which is brilliant, isn't it? Um, to spread the love a bit. So, yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to it. Great stuff. It's all good. Really, we're really looking forward to it. Thank you very much to Becky and for Adam for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having oh, me. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work as well. And look, let's do this again next season, hey? Absolutely. Thank you as well, Rob. And uh, we're going to have a nice little break off and then we'll be back with our preview season. Uh, oh, just to say, Rob, who, who won our little predictions table out of me, you, Tom? Oh, yeah. I, I was going to get a little bit more detail. I won't bore you the detail. We got plus <laughs> points if we, we... We got plus points if we got, like, teams promoted or in the playoffs. But we put in this season negative points. If you said someone was going to be in the playoffs and they finished in the relegation zone or the other way around. And so a lot of the points we gained were taken off us again. But there was nothing in it. I think off the top of my head, I think between all five of us, about 11 or 12 points. And I have to very modestly say by one point I won, but there was nothing in it. Nothing in it. <laughs> On that bombshell, we'll we'll do it all again next season. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms. Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon. (laughs) 